Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Hello and welcome to another episode of It Could Happen Here uh, with your guest host, Andrew, of the YouTube channel, Andrewism. Today I'm joined by Mia and I'm looking to discuss a topic that I brought up in passing in a previous episode, that being the idea of conviviality and the episode in question being in my uh, podcast on degrowth. So when I first uh, stumbled upon this concept of conviviality, I thought it was just, you know, one of those uh, exciting, fluffy, um, (laughs) agitprop, buzzwords right something you <laughs> yeah yeah you threw into your, you know your, your propaganda your, your conversations your um descriptions of a better world you're like oh i would love to live in a world that's more convivial on these different things <laughs> convivial being defined in the dictionary as the quality of being friendly and lively right uh synonyms include amiability affability congeniality etc etc um I didn't come here to be a thesaurus. I came here to talk about the <laughs> deeper meanings behind these things, right? So in searching this uh, word and this term up uh, in more depth, I ended up going down this rabbit hole and I discovered there's a whole history to the term uh, that spans, I mean, I mean, I'm not going as far back as its Latin origins, right? I mean, we could talk about... Um, the French and their loan words making their way into the English language. Uh, we could talk about the Spanish concept of convivencia being interpreted literally as living in the company of others. Um, or in one particular context, such as in Spain between the 18th and 15th centuries, uh, describing the peaceful coexistence between different religious groups. But I'm not going that far back. I'm sticking to the history of the term from Ivan Illich to the degrowth movement to the conviviality manifestos that have come out of uh, online and offline discussions, academic and non-academic discussions of this idea of conviviality. 
Now, I gave a sort of a basic dictionary definition before, but I want to go a bit deeper, right? So what is conviviality exactly? Conviviality is about creating a fun and friendly atmosphere where people can come together and have a great time. That's it in its essence, right? It's that feeling you get when you're surrounded by lively conversations and laughter and a sense of celebration. You know, those moments where everyone's enjoying each other's company and there's a real sense of camaraderie. I think using uh, conviviality as a barometer is really helpful uh, in organizing situations, right? If you're in an environment where you are organizing, where you're doing praxis and you're not picking up those convivial vibes, it may be a sign that there's some toxicity in the mix there. Uh, I'm not saying that um, the work of activism has to be uh, a trip to an amusement park, right? It doesn't have to be a carnival. But I think there does need to be, for solidarity to exist, I think there should have some level of camaraderie and conviviality uh, in the atmosphere. So you can think of conviviality as the spirit of hospitality and warmth, right? It's like when you gather with your friends or when you have those family occasions and you bring everyone together, even in the workplace, you know, when you and your workers are getting along really well and you're organizing to create this union and you're going to take down your boss. It's, it's a fun time, right? <laughs> um, and so how do we get from this, you know, sort of seemingly simple, sociable idea of living and enjoying life in the company of others, making people feel welcomed and included? Um, how do we move from that idea? This conviviality is a vital part of human interaction conviviality in a more political context? How do we go from just talking about social connections and adding meaning to our lives and uh, enjoying festivities and shift to conversations about the social and political state of the world right now? <laughs> right? Um, there's this one particular guy who's kind of responsible for this. Um, a guy I personally like to call the illest, that being the one and only Australian philosopher, social critic, and Catholic priest, Ivan Illich. Over the course of his nearly 80 years of life since 1926, this multi-hyphenate, I think that's the term we use people who have a lot of different uh, titles, right? Um... <laughs> this multi-hyphenate from Vienna, Italy had a significant impact on a bunch of fields, you know, from education to medicine, to technology, to social justice. I know his name because he came up a lot when I was doing research on unschooling, de-schooling, um, and just the education system as a whole. Uh, but apparently he's done a lot more than just that. He's, ch he's challenged conventional thinking in all sorts of fields, and he's questioned the inherent assumptions and structures of modern society. Ivan's, and I hope he doesn't mind that I call him Ivan, because um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm pronouncing his German name correctly, right? His German last name correctly. So I'll just call him Ivan. Uh, he probably wouldn't mind because he's dead, but Ivan's intellectual journey 
took him through a bunch of different paths, right? He studied theology and philosophy and eventually became a priest. And he lived and worked in different parts of the world, including Latin America, where he witnessed firsthand the effects of development projects and the power dynamics between developed and developing nations. And those experiences deeply influenced his critical perspective on the modern industrialized world. He also became a very prolific author, known for his thought-provoking and often controversial writings, such as *De School and Society, which he published in 1971, Tools for Conviviality, published in 1973, and Medical Nemesis, published in 1976. And in these books, he challenged established institutions and systems, offered alternative visions that emphasized individual autonomy, community engagement, and, wait for it, convivial relationships. Elish's or Ivan's critique of education systems contributed to the development of alternative educational approaches, such as homeschooling, unschooling, and learner-centered education. His examination of the medical establishment sparked discussions on patient empowerment and the need for a more participatory model of healthcare, something I would like to discuss in a future episode, though um, I would like to uh, find someone uh, in the disability justice space to have that discussion with because that is an area of uh, experiential ignorance for me. Yeah, so I, if anybody has any suggestions, I'd appreciate it. But Ivan's legacy, right, it extends far beyond his lifetime. As it's clear, he has a lasting impact on critical theory, on social philosophy, and the quest for a more just and humane world. I know I'm gassing up the guy a lot, and I'm sure he has some flaws that someone will no doubt uh, inform me about. And <laughs> I, I have not read all of it. So, <laughs> well, yeah. you know. So, so. <laughs> he, does he did co-sign the Catholic Church by being a priest, I assume, right? So I'm sure he has his flaws. Um, and I have not read all of his literature. I haven't even read um, Medical Nemesis yet. But in Tools of Conviviality in particular, I want to discuss his perspective on conviviality and its role in society. Right? In the book, he expresses these deep concerns about the negative effects of modern institutions and systems, and he argued that they often hindered personal freedom, autonomy, and human flourishing. He believed that many of our social structures had become oppressive, as they dictated not only how we should live, learn, and interact, but also how we saw ourselves as people. He argued that our systems had become highly centralized, relying on professional expertise and complex technologies that limited individual agency and self-determination. Now, one could be bad faith, I suppose, and say that, oh, is he saying that, you know, Ivan was anti-complex technology? Is he uh, some sort of uh, popular culture bastardization of Luddites or something? But um his concern was not necessarily on the technology itself and the complexity of the technology, uh, but more so how that technology slotted into the structured society as a whole, right? His concern was about how these uh, elite professional groups had established what he called a radical monopoly over fundamental human activities, including health, agriculture, home building, and learning. And this monopoly, this monopoly is criticizing not the technology, but the monopoly, according to Ivan, had led to a detrimental war and subsistence that deprived formerly peasant societies of their essential skills and know-how. 
Yeah, and I mean, like, I feel like that's a pretty. I I, I think I think it's pretty hard to like to that line. Well, I, I I don't know if it's a, I think I think like I th- I think specifically that line in agriculture is is pretty hard to like not fault like not agree with. If you look at the effects that the Green Revolution had on on the people who do agriculture, oh yeah, how, for sure. Yeah, I mean, and I think this goes to it. it like this falls in with the sort of like you know like the sort of social technological aspect of it of like the fact that this was combined with this massive sort of social technological push to you know drive farmers into debt. Um, you know, so they could afford the inputs for this stuff and what it what it did to sort of what it, what it did to the actual farming communities and what it did to people's livelihoods and, you know, the way that like a lot of this was just a sort of smokescreen for like consolidation of major landowners, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I think I think he's pretty he's on the right point about that. there. Yeah. Yeah. For those who don't know, by the way, um, the Green Revolution refers to a period of technological advancements and agricultural strategies that took place during the mid-20th century, primarily in developing countries. It aimed to increase agricultural productivity and food pro- production through the adoption of high-yielding crop varieties, increased use of fertilizers, pesticides, and modern farming techniques. And the Green Revolution is basically responsible for a lot of the most damaging practices that we see in agriculture today. Right, the from the heavy reliance on chemical inputs like fertilizers and pesticides, which leads to you know soil degradation, water pollution, loss of biodiversity. You know the emphasis on monocultures and replacements of traditional crop varieties with high yielding ones that reduced agrobiodiversity and led to diseases proliferating between certain species. Intensive farming practices that could not be kept up with by small scale farmers. Um, like Mia was saying, the consolidation of land and the ability to manage that land into these agribusiness corporations and major landowners. Yeah, and I, and I think it's worth emphasizing that this was very explicitly seen as an anti-communist thing. I mean, the the, the State Department's like actual explicit line was a, a green revolution to stop a red revolution. So, like a, a big part of what this was about was like stopping land reform from happening, which right, yeah. is incredibly bleak. Yeah. And now it's the dominant practice globally and it's having detrimental impacts globally. And yeah. And, and, and I mean, it's, some I of those the, people are dead. Some of them are going to be dead very soon. And yeah, the rest of us have to suffer the consequences. Story of my life. Yep. <laughs> which Story the of my existence that, on this earth. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The other thing that's sort of wild about it, too, is that, like, the countries that did land reform, like, developed better capitalist economies than the ones who didn't. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, like... Yay, yeah, they're better doing capitalism. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and, like, yeah, it's like, they're, they're better... They're, it, it turns out doing land reform actually does help both, like, non-capitalist and capitalist economies, but, unfortunately, the Green Revolutionary people, the Green Revolution people, like, aren't even, like people who care about the efficiency of capitalism they care about like the power of the landowning class well yeah and, so, and i mean that i don't know if this is a saying but i might make it a saying um i think socialists are better doing capitalism than capitalists so yeah i mean well, I, that, that's, this, 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 this is the entire this is this is the entire story of china right is like yeah like is Mar- 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 marxist leninism is a really really efficient way to like turn a feudal economy into a capitalist economy yeah like if i was in charge of capitalism I was going to make sure that the people at the bottom class bought into the system wholesale. And yeah, 
propaganda education is a part of it. But also, you want to make sure they're not vulnerable to being radicalized. And the best way to do that is to ensure that their basic needs are met. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> even arguing that will have some people uh, misinformed, I would say, but well-intentioned, labeling you a socialist. Um, like, I think people should have good things. Oh, you dirty red comic, you. But, you know, it's... <laughs> It's just, well, it's just literally wealthier capitalism, but apparently that's too much for a lot of capitalists. Well, not apparently. I mean, literally the reason we have welfare capitalism is because uh, socialists fought for it um, in the early 20th century and early to mid 20th century. So, you know, we have socialists to thank for everything, basically. But I'm getting off track, right? So like I was saying, uh, this monopoly, this radical monopoly over fundamental human activities led to a detrimental war and subsistence that had deprived peasant societies of the essential skills and know-how. Instead of promoting human flourishing, all this economic development ended up feeding into what Ivan has termed modernized poverty. And it's something that I think about often, right? This idea of the poor back then versus the poor now. Right. And of course, it depends on which society you're talking about, which time period you're talking about. But let's just pick some random, um, his, like historic, uh, pus, poor person, right? Let's just say, I don't know, generic civilization A. Um, this person is poor, right? They have to work, they have to work the land, backbreaking toil. Sometimes raiders would roll it and be like, oh, we're going to take your stuff now. And then they would like ride their horses away and probably, I don't know, dab on you or whatever. <laughs> or the raiders will roll in, they'll take your stuff and then they'll be like, oh, I want to stay. And then now you have to pay taxes to me every year. And, you know, that's how a lot of states were created. Um, but whether it's, you know, nomadic warlords or settled warlords, at least you had a house. At least you had a community. At least you had the ability to grow your own food, even though a lot of that food was being taxed. Um, and, you know, at least you had certain skills that you could use to sustain yourself, right? Compare that to modern poverty, where you have this large swath of people who are dependent, who are mechanical parts in a system that they cannot fully understand and comprehend and, uh, control for themselves with this, you know, whole uh, industrial revolution where you take this process of making a chair, for example, and you break it up into a bunch of different steps and each person in that step only knows how to do one thing, but they don't know how to do the entire thing. Um, right? Like the poor of today versus the poor of yesteryear. The latter still had these skills for subsistence and many of today's poor particularly the urban poor, because I know the rural poor, a lot of them still uh, sustain themselves, still practice, um, you know, sustain, subsistence farming and that kind of thing. But particularly the urban poor, they don't even have like a lot of those skills to rely on to even sustain themselves at that level. Uh, for the urbanists in the audience, you might appreciate that Ivan also talks about the dominance of cars and how they've created this <laughs> radical monopoly over land turning our urban environments into the domain of cars, which not only compromises the environment for pedestrians and cyclists, but also disrupts our innate mobility 
as human beings. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo play. Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it, Boy Meets World House. Take a listen. We are lucky to be sitting with Alan and Amy Matthews in the flesh, William, Rusty Russ, and Betsy Randall. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. Yes. When those legends get here, let me know. <laughs> you're here. You're here already. No. Uh, we didn't either when we were watching yeah, this that's day. Okay. That's we the didn't problem. realize it until we uh, started getting into seasons three and four, and now we're like, oh my God. You were both so good on the show, and we missed it because we were we young. We were kids and, and so self-involved. Egomaniacs yeah. and didn't realize well, no, how great you were. We've talked about it. I think you just assumed everybody was as good as them. And, right. and then right. you get into right. as you grow up and you work with other actors, you realize how oh. lucky we were yeah. to have you guys. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. She even takes it a step further, right? Um, and this particular opinion, opinion of his is a bit shaky for me. Uh, so it's something I've been letting stew in my brain a little bit more. Um, but let me just read the quote. The radical monopoly cars establish is destructive in a special way. Cars create distance. Speedy vehicles of all kinds render space scarce. They drive wedges of highways into populated areas and then extort tolls on the bridge over the remoteness between people that was manufactured for their sake. This monopoly over land turns space into car fodder. It destroys the environment for feet and bicycles. Even if places and buses could run as non-polluting, even if planes and buses could run as non-polluting, non-depleting public services, their inhuman velocities would degrade man's innate mobility and force him to spend more time for the sake of travel. I'm sure you could pick up on why that particular opinion is a bit shaky, right? Yeah. He's not just anti-car, he's also a bit anti-plane and bus. Um, to be fair, I'm also anti-bus, but like planes, I don't know. Like, are they great for the environment? No. Do you sometimes need to go to another continent? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So he is. Um, he probably reads like R slash F cars, and he's like, uh, "Y'all don't take it far enough." <laughs> you guys are filthy um, moderates, <laughs> 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 liberals. <laughs> 
But yeah, um, so I highly recommend reading the actual book in full for further insight and context. And I do want to dig into his thoughts on it further in the future, but you know, food for thought. Let me know what you think of those inhuman velocities. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But anyway, memes aside, I think the benefit of Ivan's critique of the radical monopoly is that it provides a different perspective, right? It sheds light on the negative consequences of excessive specialization, technocratic control, and the prioritization of speed and efficiency over human well-being. Zoe B on YouTube actually has a really great video on the idea of efficiency as this ultimate moral good. So I recommend checking that out, Uh, especially since the standard narrative that we are utterly bombarded by is that all these things are uncontroversially good, right? What I appreciate about Ivan and his ideas is that they challenge us to reconsider our relationship with systems, tools, and institutions, and it he encourages us to strive for a more balanced and convivial society. And what does that convivial society look like to him? Well, let's continue. Ivan's solution argues for the development of new, accessible, and user-friendly instruments that would allow average citizens to regain practical knowledge and reclaim control over their lives, as well as resist the domination of specialized elites. That's why Ivan Illich's book, Tools for Conviviality, is sponsored by Skillshare. (laughs) Ugh. All right. I know that was a bad joke. Um, (laughs) Ivan believed that society should be organized to serve the needs and aspirations of individuals rather than creating systems that limit their potential and autonomy. And so for Ivan, conviviality, here we are back to the original topic, conviviality represented a society in which individuals had the power to shape their own lives free from excessive dependence on institutionalized systems he envisioned a world people had access to convivial tools simple user-friendly technologies that empowered them to take control of their own destinies for example the dominant education system separates learners from the real world and disempowers them Ivan advocates for a more self-directed and community-based education where people could pursue knowledge and skills according to their own interests and needs. Ivan also critiques the over-reliance on medical professionals and calls for a shift towards a more participatory model of healthcare that gives individuals access to information and resources that allow them to actively participate in their own health decisions rather than being these passive recipients of medical interventions. In transportation systems, he also advocates for more human-scale and community-oriented transportation alternatives. He envisions neighborhoods designed for walking and biking, which would foster social interactions and reduce the environmental impact of excessive motorized transport. In essence, Ivan viewed conviviality as a transformative concept that aimed to restore individual agency and personal connections and a sense of empowerment in society. He challenged the prevalent structures and systems that limited human potential and proposed more participatory, community-driven alternatives. And to this day, his ideas continue to inspire discussions on how we can create a convivial society that values human relationships, self-determination, and a shared responsibility for shaping our own lives. What I found particularly interesting in researching this was learning that the book's vision of tools 
there would be developed maintained by a community of users that actually had significant influence on the first developers of the personal computer. Mind-blowing, I know. Um, most notably, one of the great first developers of the PC, Lee Fel- Felsenstein. Lee Felsenstein. Um, he and several others were just were inspired by this idea uh, within the book. Because remember, Ivan is writing this before the internet. Um, and they go and they take this idea and then they make the internet or they make the personal computer because computers existed prior to the personal computer, but they weren't as accessible. They weren't a tool of conviviality, whereas the personal computer of today is. And I just think that's beautiful and amazing. But Ivan's ideas did more than just, you know, shape the course of human history. He also would shape the creation of a convivialist movement. In 2010, Eight years after Ivan died and 37 years after Ivan published Tools for Conviviality, Raymond de Boisvert published Convivialism, a philosophical manifesto. And in it, Boisvert begins by discussing the key theme in Michael Pollan's books, The Botany of Desire, which is a great read, by the way, and The Omnivore's Dilemma, which I haven't read yet. But the key theme is coevolution, right? The first book humorously suggests that Plants manipulate humans to co-evolve with them, taking care of their needs in exchange for nutrition or beauty. And the second book, The Omnivore's Dilemma, the importance of interconnected components for vibrant farm is emphasized, with corn serving as an example of a plant that relies on humans for survival. Boisvert proposes that focusing on the prefix co in coevolution can have philosophical implication, similar to William James's emphasis on the preposition with. By, you know, examining the significance of these prepositions, co, com, con, or cool, as well as sin, the author argues for a philosophy that recognizes omnipresent interconnection. Michael Pollan's books do this well uh, in the context of food, but Boisvert wants to take um, this the implications of this uh, taken preposition seriously into a rearrangement of philosophy itself. And now we're getting, you know, kind of heavy, right? Yeah. As Poivre argues, philosophers have often neglected the significance of interconnected relationships. While farmers recognize the importance of interconnectedness, you know, how things like land and water and stuff all work together, um, Modern philosophy, on the other hand, according to Boisvert, since the Renaissance, has been focused on these self-standing and independent entities, not interconnected entities. And I don't know how true this is because I, I'm not, uh, I didn't study philosophy, but I'm just um, <laughs> communicating Boisvert's arguments here, right? Um, and so the idea of autonomy in modern philosophy, according to Boisvert, seemed to exclude the with factor in existence, relegating relations and interconnections to a secondary role. So Boisvert's saying is that philosophy is taught on this foundation that we are autonomous and self-sufficient first, right? And then everything else comes after. You know, um, Rousseau, for example, portrayed an idyllic existence where connections and dependencies are viewed as these impositions, you know, um, 
we went from being autonomous to being stuck in this web of interdependencies. And then as a result, coming out to that, the philosophical idea of liberation uh, for some ended up returning, um, for some meant returning to this original state of authenticity and disengagement from connections. Um, the concept of freedom itself became something that was anti-interdependency. And so the focus shifted away from this idea of humans being inherently interdependent. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it, Boy Meets, Meets World House. House. Take a listen. We are lucky to be sitting with Alan and Amy Matthews in the flesh, William, Rusty Russ, and Betsy Randall. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes. When those legends get here, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> you're here. You're here already. No. Uh, we didn't either when we were watching yeah, this that's day. The that's we the problem. We didn't realize it until we uh, oh. started getting into seasons three and four, and now we're like, oh, my God. We were both so good on the show, and we missed it because we were we young. We were kids and, and so self-involved. Egomaniacs. Yeah. And <laughs> didn't realize well, no, how great you were. We've talked about it. I think you just assumed everybody was as good as them. And, right. and then right. you get into right. as you grow up and you work with other actors, you realize how oh. lucky we were yeah. to have you guys. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. But then this alternative point of view came about, right? Uh, and this shift coincided with the introduction of the term symbiosis in biology, which combined the Greek word for life with the preposition with. And the concept of symbiosis um, found its way eventually into everyday language and discourse. So that's the Greek term, symbiosis. And then we go to the Latin term, conviviality, meaning with living. Uh, and that long predated, you know, science and philosophy used to describe just ordinary exper- experiences. And so to avoid getting lost into the philosopher's favorite pastime of, you know, navigating various words and all their baggage, um, to boil it down to its simplicity... Boisvert is seeking to ask what a convivialist turn in philosophy might look like. 
and what changes in philosophy might be taking place. For one, he's concerned with how embracing trivialism might change um, our understanding of metaphysics, right? By embracing this metaphor of existence as about the relation and conjunction between components, about the interplay and interconnectedness of various elements, rather than about a collection of separate units, you end up going from this position of isolation to this position of profound interrelation. And then you begin to focus on the interactions between uh, people rather than just the uh, experiences within people. In the sphere of philosophical anthropology, Boisvert argues that a convivial turn would mean redefining humanity. You know, taking this concept that, you know, we're not just these purely logical and calculating beings, we are homo sapiens. And the term sapiens is derived from the Latin word for tasting, which highlights the human capacity to constantly try and test, to constantly experiment, to actively participate in interactions with our surroundings. So in this convivial turn, we return to the original definition of the name we gave ourselves, right? As tasters, as flexible, educable, subject to investigation and improvement, uh, constantly testing and experimenting and seeing what is best in specific contexts, um, seeing that Taste as sapiens, as homo sapiens, taste is inherently pluralistic because there is no universal taste. There is no single taste that is like, oh, this is the taste. Everybody must adhere to this taste. Everybody has a different taste. We talk about that when we talk about taste. And I think the implications are particularly profound. Uh, when we bring it into the preferative, the sphere of preferative politics, right? Where as tasters, as experimenters, we are looking for ways to prefigure um, new social relations and institutions and relationships and structures and systems for the future in the here and now. And that requires tasting, that requires experimentation, that requires an acceptance of pluralism because everyone has a different taste and everyone's going to bring something different to the table. And that's beautiful. And then also in the field of epistemology, the convivialist perspective challenges the opposition between subject and object in understanding reality. It rejects the idea of the mind as a mere mirror reflecting reality or projecting imposing conceptual schemes onto reality. Because convivialism is about how the intermediaries, the facilities or interactions, how they affect the way that we perceive and reflect on reality itself. It also requires us to let go of this subject-object dichotomy in our pursuit of knowledge and understanding, which itself has implications on even the field of science, because, you know, um, the idea of the scientist in the popular imagination is, you know, the subject who is whatever that scientist is studying, that is the object. But convivialism 
cause us to pause and reflect on how that subject, that object, and how intermediaries between them affect their perception of each other, affect their, the subject, the scientist's ability to pursue knowledge and understanding, and affect the objects, if the object is a person, to do the same. And finally, Boisvert digs into the rigid division between nature and culture and how the convivialist perspective challenges that. The continuous interactions and transformations that occur in existence um, makes it problematic to consider the divisions between human societies, between human societies and the ecosystems that surround them as fundamental aspects of existence, right? The boundary between nature and culture is one that constantly blues. It is difficult to please, particularly when there's an embrace by certain cultures of that interconnectedness and interdependence between their culture and the nature that surrounds them. And then when you see that blurring of lines between culture and nature, you might also recognize a blurring of lines between human and non-human in the context of community. The idea of community being an exclusively human domain becomes less apt, I suppose, as you recognize the way that non-humans uh, influence and affect and engage and interact with humans in this, you know, collectivity. We use terms like community and city and society and stuff to refer to the human aspects of interaction. And we use things like ecosystem and biome to emphasize non-human aspects of interaction. But the interactions between humans, animals, plants, and inanimate entities do not always slot so neatly into that metaphysical description of reality. Of course, we use these divisions for certain specific research purposes. We say, oh, I'm a sociologist, I'm an anthropologist, I'm a biologist, an ecologist, etc. But we can't forget that convivialism, conviviality, asks us not to forget that those are human impositions that we should not let obscure our ability to make sense of reality as a whole. I know things got really heady there. Um, I hope that everything I said made sense. Um, and if you need a breather <laughs> or some time to uh, pause and reflect further on the implications on this simple, cute, fun to say little Latin word conviviality, we're going to take a pause here. Um, but next time, you can join us as we discuss how people have gone from this term to Urge's ideas to uh, Boisvert's philosophical implications to more recent manifestos of the convivial movement and how they can relate to degrowth and beyond. You can find me on youtube.com slash andrewism and you can support me on patreon.com slash saint true. Um, once again, I'm Andrew, joined by Mia, and this 
as it could happen here. Peace. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.